Hey, Green Tree family, let's continue to dive into our sermon series entitled A New Reality as we consider what it means for us to be uh, given new life in the Lord Jesus and how that defines who we are as a collective group of people. We call ourselves Green Tree Community Church. What is the new reality uh, of Green Tree Community Church that Christ brings into our lives through his presence? Uh, Let me ask you a question as we start out this morning. What is your worst irritating noise? What is your worst irritating noise? What is the the moment where you you see it on the screen there, uh, where we've got a a young man enthusiastically uh, banging the cymbals together, and a couple of other folks who are who are holding their ears? It might be for some, you know, the kind of the most common statement we would make is that feels like fingernails on a on a chalkboard. So I'm going to tell you what mine is, and and hope that you won't use it against me uh, at some point. Sneak up behind me and make this noise. But when you uh, when you're doing uh, gift wrapping, which I'm terrible at, you're doing gift wrapping and you've wrapped the box, and then you put the bow on it. You've got the string tied off, and then you take the scissors. And I almost can't even talk about it. It sends shivers up my spine. You take that scissor and you put it on the ribbon, and you pull it. Oh man, that that sound of that. That uh, scissor on the ribbon, that blade on the ribbon, just, it's, it's more than I can stand. Uh, if I see Cindy packing or, you know, doing some packages and she's getting ready to do that, I, I'll run out of the room. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure I can go on with a sermon at this point. I'm so disturbed. But what is that, what is that noise that it just does you in? It, it, you, can't, you almost can't hear anything else because of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Hear the word of God. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be known fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. We have a moment of prayer, and again, we'll have a moment of silent prayer for you to ask God to speak to you this morning, and then I will lead us in a corporate prayer. Let's pray together. 
Father, we uh, run the risk this morning of being deaf to your message, Uh, not because it's irritable to us, but perhaps because this passage is so familiar. Uh, We have perhaps heard it read many, many different times. Uh, in weddings, in special events. Uh, It's probably quoted as much or more as any other scripture passage, and yet, Lord, it's important that we stop and we see what's here. Uh, Father, we thank you last week for Pastor Eric uh, teaching us out of your word and talking to us about the importance of spiritual gifts and and how uh, they're given to us by you and how they're to be used uh, by us. That gift is to be used in order to build up Uh, your church, your people. So now this morning, Lord, as we look at the foundation upon which that building takes place, the foundation of your love for us and our love for one another, we pray that you would teach us. Uh, Father, I am sinful in this area of my life. I do not love the way I'm supposed to. Uh, And yet, Lord, you forgive me. So I confess my sin to you this morning, trusting in your forgiveness, asking that, that I would not be a hindrance to your teaching that, Lord Jesus, you would open every one of our hearts and our minds, our our intellect, our reason, uh, that we might understand and that we would apply your word to our lives in the coming hours and days uh, and weeks, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in the new reality, uh, we want to realize this morning that maturity of faith and intimacy with God are not measured in spiritual gifts, heavenly knowledge, or Christ-like generosity, but in unconditional love. So how do, you, how do you measure whether you are a mature believer? How do you measure whether or not you are growing closer to God? Uh, we might argue, well, if I practice those spiritual gifts, clearly that shows I'm a mature believer. If I, I demonstrate a knowledge uh, that seems to move uh, beyond what, what normal folks have, or if I'm, I'm a very generous, giving person, that would mean that my intimacy is growing to God. And none of those things are bad. Those are all good things. Uh, we want to see that this morning. Though Paul isn't bringing these up because he doesn't want us to practice them. He's giving us a comparison that's saying by themselves, they're deficient without the love of God as the foundation. So what really is a measurement for my spiritual maturity, for your spiritual maturity, for our collective spiritual maturity, is the unconditional love of God. That is the new reality that we want to see develop more in our lives. So we have six observations in this text this morning. So we're going to zip right along here because they're all important and they all will help us hopefully understand uh, how to grow in this area. So the first uh, observation is simply noise. And I've kind of already introduced that this morning. Verse one says, I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want you to notice, first of all, that Paul speaks in the first person. Paul doesn't say, hey, hey, if y'all do this, uh, you Corinthians, you better watch out for this. He, he puts it in the first person, which means Paul understands how much his maturity, how much his intimacy with God is based not on the gifts that God's given him, not on him being uh, a profound church planter, an amazing preacher, an extraordinary evangelist, but it's based on how much Paul embraces and shares the love of God with others. I love it when the preacher puts it in the first person. Uh, It allows me to join in 
with him. So Paul says, this is about me looking at my heart as much as it is you looking at yours. And then he says, I can have these extraordinarily oral gifts. I, I could have these heavenly words to share. Now that could be in a sermon, but could also be just giving somebody really good godly advice. It could be uh, teaching. It could be teaching little tiny kids in a, in a Sunday school setting or, or adults at a, at a seminary level or, or a, you know, a college level. And he, he's talking about this amazing gift uh, of teaching and of sharing words. But he says this, if it doesn't have any love, if love isn't my motivation, the love that I've received from God if that's not the motivation to share with you, then it simply is a noise without a melody. It is loud and it is harsh. Uh, as our children got older, they, uh, Cindy and I like to play tricks. We have, we have a, a good sense of humor and, you know, you got to keep be on your toes in our household because uh, you never know what might happen next. But as our kids got older, they kind of got, got into the act and enjoyed being mischievous from time to time. And not very often, but every once in a while, I would get in my car and I would turn the car on and the radio, which would come on automatically if it was turned on, was already at full volume. <laughs> Love my kids. They were just wonderful. And I, it would you know, jolt me uh, to no end. And, you, and you're kind of torn between grabbing your ears and trying to, trying to turn the radio down while you say not so pleasant things about your children. But that's what Paul is saying here. The word of God. If I, if I misuse it by not giving it in a loving way, can be that harsh. And I have to stop here and say, I have and can continue to be guilty of this. I stand before this congregation, you know, most every Sunday for the last 20-something years. And there have been moments, I know there have been moments, where people have heard my words, but they couldn't hear my words because of something they had interacted with me on the week before in some way where I had been unloving, in some way where I had not been caring in my interaction with them. And so you kind of look at the guy up there and you're going, mm, boy, that just kind of sounds like bad noise because I don't feel the love. And you know what? That's a fair critique. Uh, that's, a, that's a fair expectation of your pastor. Say, I, I want my pastor to follow Christ in the way he loves others. And I, and I know because you're also very gracious with me. I, I know that you forgive me. Uh, and I know that that, that that grace is going to be there. But I, I will confess this morning to you. If I've done that to you and we haven't made amends, I would love to have the opportunity to talk to you about that. Because that message always has to have love. And, it, and, it's, and it's okay to kind of look at the pastor and go, mm, I'm not sure today because I, it's not matching up. Paul puts it in the first person. I want, I want to follow Paul's example. Put that in the first person's love. So, so there can be just this noise that ought not be there. It ought to be a melody. It ought to be a glorious song. That's why we, we, we use the 100th Psalm for our call to worship this morning, making a joyful noise, making something that just sounds beautiful when we share God's word and it's founded on love. Secondly, in verse 2, he says, not only noise, but he says nothing, right? There, there can be a nothingness about our lives. So he says this, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but, I, uh, but have not love, I am what? I am nothing. So think about this for just a second. Look at the power of the spiritual gifts in, in that verse. There's truth-telling. 
uh, the prophetic word is the word of truth, whether it's, whether it's uh, you know, the Old Testament prophets who looked into the future and spoke of what was to come. They were truth-telling because what they prophesied actually came about, but it's also truth-telling and that they were calling the people to repentance. Here are the sins that are in your life, and here's how we apply the word to God to that. We need to repent of that. So you have truth-telling. You also have deep comprehension. I understand all mysteries, those things that other folks have a hard time understanding. I get those. I, 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 I understand them completely. And I have this abiding faith, this faith that moves, would remove a mountain. If you remember, Jesus said to his disciples uh, one day, if you, you could find this in uh, one place you could find, it'd be Luke 17. Uh, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be, you know, be thrown into the sea and it would obey you. You had this much genuine faith. This verse says, I have all this faith. I have this extraordinary amount of faith. But if it's absent love, these three things, this, this truth-telling, deep comprehension, and abiding faith end up with zero impact. I'm nothing. So if Paul says I shouldn't even be afforded an opportunity to, to have folks listen to me because I'm missing the key ingredient. Leon Morris says this, the sum of all wisdom, the fullest extent of all gifts, but lacking love, not only are they not very important, they're actually nothing. So Paul says, I can be a loud noise, and actually I, I can amount to, to nothing in my ministry. But then he goes on to say one more thing. He talks about uh, a worthlessness. And he says this in verse 3, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, if I become a martyr for my faith, but I have not love, I, and here's a different word, I gain nothing. So any value it would have been to me had it been based on love, it ends up being a loss. It ends up becoming worthless in my life because it is not built upon love. So I began to think about that this week. And, uh, you know, who do I know that is extraordinarily generous? Who do I know that is uh, remarkable uh, in, their, in their giving to others? And I, I have friends that are generous. Um, they, they certainly, my interaction with them would, would appear that they're very generous. But I actually did a little research and I came uh, across a man, you see his picture on the screen, who, and he's not a friend of mine. He's a very, uh, he's an older man. I want to say he's around 90 years old now. And his name is Chuck Finney. And he's an American businessman of Irish descent. And Chuck Finney made over $8 billion in his life. Let me say that again to make sure you didn't mistake an M for a B. $8 billion. If you've ever walked into a duty-free shop in an airport somewhere, you've done business with Chuck Finney. Chuck Finney decided that before he died, he wanted to give away all of his money. And Chuck Finney, by 2016, successfully gave away out of $8 billion, all but a small nest egg in comparison to that figure, $2 million. He gave all the rest of it away. And he had a remarkable uh, passion for generosity. He wrote a letter to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and he encouraged them uh, to, to, to follow suit and to consider uh, giving their fortunes away. And here's what he wrote to them. I cannot think of a more personally rewarding and appropriate use of wealth than to give it while one is living, to personally devote oneself to meaningful effort to improve the human condition. 
More importantly, today's needs are so great and varied that the that intelligent philanthropic support and positive interventions can have greater value and impact today than if they are delayed when the needs are greater. Now, I I think that sounds like Chuck Finney has a lot of love in his heart. And so this is not now, I'm not going to tell you a story now where Chuck Finney's not a loving person. But I do want to say this. The one needful thing, according to Scripture, is not generosity. And as Christians, we should be generous. As Christians, we should be delighted to give. As Christians, Chuck Finney's attitude ought not best us if he doesn't happen to be a believer in Jesus. But Scripture says the one needful thing is love. Uh, Leon Morris, again, quoting Leon Morris, says, love is the one needful thing. Nothing can make up for its lack. So Paul starts out this journey of love. Uh, we're, now we're done with three of the six. We're halfway home here. Uh, and he says, let's be careful to understand that if we don't have love, we're just a lot of noise, uh, we amount to nothing, and, and we gain nothing. So the question is, how important do you think it is to God that, that you and I engage in love? How important is it to God that his people respond to his love and grace with the love he has created in their hearts? How, how important is this new reality to God? And I think we would say, just by those first three verses, it's extraordinarily important. So do we want to we, do we want to live that way? And and I think we'd probably say I'm all in. Let's go. You can you can count on me. Uh, thumbs up. You know how many times, how many Zoom meetings have you been in where that's what you get? I think we're maybe a little bit tired of that. But I think most Christians would say let's have at it. And here's where I want to affirm that yes, but also offer a word of caution. Let's make sure we understand what we're getting ourselves into. Let's make sure we understand that we don't define love, but that God defines love. So let's look at his definition this morning, the last three uh, observations. And the first of those last three observations is avoiding the negative, avoiding the negative. So verses uh, four uh, and uh, five, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of, of, of good nuggets there for us to latch on to. Let me just kind of sum those up, uh, hopefully in, in short order here. The first is that genuine love is void of jealousy and pride. If God's love is abiding in my heart, there isn't room in my heart for me to be jealous in a negative way of another. There isn't room in my heart. If God's love is living in my heart, one of the things that's going to create at the very outset is the spirit of humility. So there isn't room for me to be prideful. Uh, and so that is something that's going to be gone, or at least it's going to be getting knocked down as God's love gets built up. So if I'm in a situation where I find myself uh, being jealous of someone or being arrogant, what I could say is, in this moment, the love of God is not abiding in me. Uh, secondly, it says here that, that uh, as we avoid the negative, love is not rude. Uh, it's not resentful. It is not primarily self-seeking, looking out for me uh, and nobody else. And when I look out for me, I tend to be resentful of somebody I feel like they're getting ahead of me or I can be rude to them, 
uh, because I want to go first, so to speak. Uh, so Cindy and I were in the grocery store a couple of weeks ago, and we try to time it so we get there when there aren't as many people. This day, we, we missed that, that, that time frame, whatever it was. And we were at the grocery store kind of when everybody else seemed to be at the grocery store. And so we got finished getting our, our groceries, and we got to the line. And we're in our grocery store. The line kind of goes all the way down this way, and then it turns around and comes all the way back down that way. So uh, we were not, you know, in the line going this way or the line going that way when we first started. We were actually kind of on the outside all the way over there. So there were probably... I don't know, 25 shoppers in front of us. But we got all our groceries, and so we're standing in line, and we're talking and kind of, you know, talking with the people that are six feet around us. And now we've come around, and we're getting a little bit, we're, we're a little over halfway. We're getting there. And this elderly gentleman comes around the corner, and he's pushing a, a cart, and, he, and he, he's definitely older. And he, and he looks up at the line, and the line is still as long. We've moved up, but, but there other shoppers have come in. And he stops, and he looks. And he looks around and he, and you could tell he's trying to figure out if there's a way to get around this line. And he's kind of mumbling to himself. He's not really saying anything. And finally he looks up and he says, and I'm going to kind of use a loud voice. So you might need to cover your ears. Well, this stuff sure isn't standing around waiting for. And turns around and he stomps out and he leaves his grocery cart right there. <laughs> and he was rude and he uh, was resentful. Uh, and he was self-seeking. And as I watched him go, I started to chuckle because I thought to myself, well, at least you kind of know where he stands. <laughs> at least you know what his opinion is of, of all of this right now. And then as we went by, we kind of looked in a shopping cart to see if there's anything we wanted, which we probably shouldn't have done. There wasn't. We didn't take anything out of it. And the, one of the clerks came by and grabbed it and I guess went and put everything back away. But everybody kind of looked down. Everybody's body language kind of got, ooh, this feels uncomfortable. And that's true. When I push myself ahead of everybody else, everybody around me goes, Tom, that doesn't feel very good. When you're rude, when you're self-seeking, I don't want to be in relationship with you. And so Paul makes sure we understand that there's a negative side uh, of, of the love equation that isn't love, but that could be very... Uh, can be very strong in our in our hearts. And the last negative side of this is he says uh, that that love is neither irritable nor gloating when someone else is hurting. So if you have somebody you don't like in particular, and you know maybe you're in school with them and they get a bad grade on the test and you got an A on that test and you kind of go, <laughs> they got theirs, right? That's gloating. That's, there's not there's nothing loving about that. And so when I'm when I'm irritable, when I take out my emotional frustration on the people around me for, for no reason whatsoever, other than that I'm sinful. That does not create love. So that's the negative side. So Paul says, that's not love. So let's try to move away from that. Fifthly, what's the positive? How do we move towards love? Well, the first thing Paul does is he gives us two words. Love is, pa excuse me, love is patient and love is kind. Let's talk about patience and kindness for just a moment. Patience is love's restraint. It keeps me from rushing to judgment and it protects me against careless deeds. Patience is love's restraint. Patience says, let's just hold on a second. Let's just take our time. Let's evaluate. Let's take a good look at the landscape here. There's no reason to rush to judgment and there's no reason to act foolishly. That, that's how uh, love 
can be expressed in our lives. And I, I'll give you the, the simplest example. If you're in a discussion with somebody and they're talking to you, let me put it in the personal. If I'm in a discussion with somebody and they're talking to me, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next on how I'm going to offer a great retort, you know, that, that's fine if we're having a fun you know, discussion about what hockey team's better. But if we're talking about personal issues that, that are based upon our relationship of love and friendship, there's no room in my life for a lack of patience. I need to be listening first. I need to be curious and asking questions. Help me understand. I'm not going to rush to judgment here. I'm not going to judge you harsher than I would judge me. I, w- I want to hear. I want to listen. I-, I want to not be careless in my relationship with you. That's patience. But there's also this word kindness. And this is interesting because this particular Greek word for kindness is not used anywhere else in the entire New Testament. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word shows up. And the best way I could sum it up, and you see it on the screen there perhaps, is goodness to the core. There just isn't anything lacking here. It's like kindness looks at the other person holistically and thinks about their good holistically. So what does verse 7 and 8 then say? Uh, Love is patient, it's kind, rejoices with the truth, but now it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it it endures all things. Love never fails. What that means is this. When you add patience and kindness together, What you come up with is the life that carries the burdens of others. It's the life that gives others the benefit of the doubt, and it believes the best about them, and it never quits, never gives up on another person, uh, on the other person. I've said this to a lot of folks. If you haven't read Brian Stevens' book, Just Mercy, you should read it. It is a very powerful book. You may or may not agree with everything he says. I found myself agreeing with about 87%. Uh, of what he said, but the one thing he said that stuck with me over and over again. And Brian Stevens is a man who litigates all the way up to the Supreme Court for people who are on death row and they are innocent. And Brian Stevens was asked by somebody, why do you do what you do? And he summed it up this way, a person's life ought not be defined by the worst thing we've ever done. A person's life ought not be defined by the worst thing we've ever done. And that is a statement of great patience and great kindness. It's a statement that I think is well worth uh, our attention uh, and prayerful consideration because I tend to be impatient with others and I tend to not exercise that holistic goodness to which God calls me. But if we're going to be all in, brothers and sisters, that's what it means to be all in. It means that we practice this patience, that we exercise this kindness. And when we put those together, they're very practical, real things that I'm going to be carrying. I'm going to be helping carry your burden. You're going to be struggling, and I'm going to come alongside. And I'm going to be struggling, and you're going to come alongside me and say, let me walk with you for a little while. How about you let me carry that? For just a while. I've told you the story before about finding some backpackers in the wilderness who, who were stranded because their feet were so blistered. And part of what we did was kind of make shifts to, to help carry them out, but we also carried their backpacks out with them. And that's what patience and kindness does. 
it draws us to carry one another's burdens, to believe the best, to give the benefit of the doubt, and to not give up, to not quit. Well, those are my first five observations. The sixth observation is really a question of application. How do we begin to think about this in our lives? And I, and I want to say this, we're talking about growing in love as, as we begin to kind of bring this uh, to a conclusion. Uh, we're talking about where we want to kind of be on this continuum, we want to be growing. The definition given in, in 1 Corinthians 13 is a picture of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what perfect love looks like and you go to the Gospels and you read about his life and then you come here and you read all that, you go, that's Jesus right there. So we're not, we're not perfectionists. We're not saying that you have to do all these things perfectly or you don't love Jesus and you're not a Christian and we don't want to have anything to do with you. We're talking about how do we grow in love. And some of these things we're going to note, you might say, I'm growing in that area. Others of you might say, boy, I haven't even gotten started. And if you're like me, one of you might be, man, I'm not even just starting. I haven't even gotten out of the locker room yet. I'm not even dressed for this part of the race yet. I got to get going on this one. That's what it means to grow in love. So some things that Paul points out here. First thing he wants us to understand, I've got, I've got four applications here and we're done, that this life is temporal. As for prophecies, which is a great gift to have, but they'll pass away. Won't need them anymore later on. As for tongues, which is a beautiful prayer language that is just glorious, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it's going to pass away. And we're going to talk for a minute about why. But all of these things that we boast so much about, boy, I'm really a super Christian because I know more than everybody else about the Bible. I'm such a strong Christian because I always speak truth into people's lives. No. Love, unconditional love of God. Again, those things aren't bad things. But the unconditional love of God flowing in us and through us is the mark of our faith. And these things that we get so hung up on and maybe so prideful about, they are simply temporal things. Secondly, therefore, I need to learn to accept my own limitations. Look at what Paul says, and he's still a second person now, but it's not us, it's it's not them, it, it's, it's us, it's we, right? For we what? No in part. We prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, he comes back to that, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I don't have the whole story. I don't, I don't have all the information. God doesn't give us all of the information this side in heaven. He gives us enough information to know him, and to be in relationship with him. He gives us enough information to be able to be truth tellers with one another. He gives us enough information to see heaven out there on the horizon, but we don't see it perfectly. So not only do we need to embrace the fact that these gifts are given to us temporally for this journey on this side of heaven, but we also have to accept our own limitations. I have to accept my limitations. I, I, you know, people come to me as a pastor, what do you think about this or that? The first thing I, I, I try to remind myself to say is, I only know in part. I'll give you my best shot at it. I really will. I, I love studying the scriptures and I love trying to, trying to truth tell and figure those things out. And I'll, and I'll roll up my sleeves and have at it with you, but I only know in part. I'm just like you. Someday we won't. But because of that, that should give me more patience and kindness because I don't know it all. And if I don't know it all, then I need to extend more grace. I need to offer that grace to folks more freely. Am I doing that? That's an application question for us today. Am I, am I understanding? Uh, I love the, the cowboy movie, Clint Eastwood, the outlaw Josie Wales. Some of you knew that was coming. 
man's got, or no, this is actually, I'm sorry, this is actually from uh, his, his police movies uh, as Dirty Harry. Man's got to know his limitations. Do I know my limitations? If I do, that'll keep me in a more, more of a framework of love and less of a framework of arrogance and rudeness. Then the third of the four is, am I living for the good of others? Am I living for the good of others? Verse 11, when I was a child, what did I do? I was childish, right? Spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I grew up, I gave up my childish ways. What's the difference between an adult and a child? What's the difference supposed to be? A child, we're talking little ones, a child lives only for themselves. I'm hungry, I'm going to cry. I need to go to the bathroom, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I need to, uh, you know, I'm mad because somebody took my toy away from me, I'm going to snatch it, and as soon as I get it back, I'm going to hit them over the head with a toy. The child lives only for themselves. And it isn't until they begin to socialize, it get to be two, three, four, that you can begin to teach them that they have to begin to grow up. A four-year-old ought not act like a one-year-old. And an eight-year-old ought not like, act like a four-year-old. And a 12-year-old ought not like, act like an eight-year-old, and so on and so forth. And Paul says, childishness is thinking only about yourself. How am I doing in my life at being a man in the, in the right sense of what Paul's after here, okay? This is not about masculinity or femininity. How am I doing at being an adult when it comes to my faith? If I'm thinking of others, then I'm moving in the right progression. I was going to take some time. I'm not going to because I'm running a little bit, a little too long, but I was going to uh, read an example of uh, back in the mid second century, there was a terrible plague that hit the north uh, coast of Africa in, in what is today present day uh, Tunisia uh, in ancient Carthage. And the author writes about how when, when people were literally throwing sick family members out onto the street, it was the Christians who were coming and picking them up and caring for them and then eventually dying with them. So it's kind of an ancient COVID uh, kind of thing, but, but even more deadly. And the Christians were right there caring for folks. They, they were being adult, mature believers saying, this life is not the only life. And God calls me to love with patience and kindness and, and care. Even if I sacrifice my own life, it's okay because I'm expressing the love of God. And then the fourth application question is, am I investing in what is of ultimate importance? So Paul takes us to kind of this hall of, hall of fame in verse 13. Now these three, right? Faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. Faith is an amazing thing. <laughs> Faith is a wonderful thing. Hope is, uh, you know, there, there's a line uh, in the movie, hope maybe is the best of all things from the Shawshank uh, Redemption. And yet Paul says, ultimately, the best, the most purest expression of God, which ought to flow into us through the gospel and through us into our relationships with one another is love. Am I investing in what is of ultimate importance? My maturity of faith, your maturity of faith, my intimacy with God, your intimacy with God, those things aren't measured by how many spiritual gifts God has given to me, how much heavenly knowledge is up here in my noodle or in yours, or how much Christ-like generosity is in my life. Those are all good things. Ultimately, they're measured not by the irritating noise of self-centeredness, but by the glorious symphony of God's unconditional love. Will you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for your unconditional love for us. Lord, every one of us who calls ourselves a disciple of Jesus understands on some level how deeply and profoundly you have loved us through your cross. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that that knowledge and that experience with your love would grow. And we pray also, Lord Jesus, that as it grows, it would spill onto everybody all around us. Lord, we always want to be careful not to spill stuff on other people, but, I, but we should want that love to spill and stain every relationship we have in, a, in an amazing way so that people can't help but notice. Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, this is the way the world's going to know you're my disciples not if you speak in tongues or you prophesy, if you love one another. Father, we need to love one another at Green Tree. Every church does, but we're at Green Tree, so we're praying for that, Lord. I'm praying for that in my own life. I'm praying that for my brothers and sisters, that you would grow us in our love for you and our love for one another. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this morning, what, what a great opportunity uh, to participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, we've been talking about love all morning, and we've been talking about how 1 Corinthians really is a picture of the perfect love of Jesus. And so as we come to the Lord's table, uh, we have that picture in front of us. We also know our own shortcomings that we don't love that way. I know I don't love that way. And so we come confessing that sit to the Lord. We come saying, Lord... We don't love as we've been loved, but grow that love in us. And so as we come to the Lord's table, uh, let's come with a spirit of hope and longing for that love, but let's also come with a spirit of humility and a willingness to confess that we fall short. And that falling short actually hurts others. And something, some situation this week might be coming to your mind right now or some relationship maybe come to your mind this week where he went, oh, wow, I didn't love that person well. I need, I need to go back and, and, and make that right, or I, I at least need to go and confess that to them and, and begin that, that process of that conversation. That doesn't keep you from the Lord's table. The next thought in your mind ought not be, so I can't take communion this morning, but it should be, let me confess that to my father and make a commitment right now that I'm going to go talk to that person. I'm going to go uh, make that right with this person so that I can enjoy uh, this gracious banquet that the Lord Jesus has given. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the simple element of, of bread and cup. Father, we can understand this. We can get it. We get hungry. We get thirsty. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Jesus says, all, all of you are thirsty. Come to me. I won't ever send you away. I'll, I'll, I'll give you uh, the water from the spring of life. So we thank you that we can come and our spiritual hunger and our spiritual thirst uh, can be met and can be quenched. Lord Jesus, we set these elements apart from their common use of nourishing our, our physical body, knowing that somehow mysteriously you are spiritually present in these elements and that you will nourish your people by your presence. Uh, so we come confessing our sin, we come trusting in you, we come thankfully to your table and we pray in your name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, the folks we've been studying, I'm, 
He said, I'm passing on to you what the Lord Jesus passed on to me, that the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they'd eaten, he took the cup. And when he poured it, he passed it to his disciples. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. All of you drink from it, because as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So brothers and sisters, this morning we will begin with the bread, uh, which represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in obedience and in joy and in thankfulness, take and eat. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then just as the Lord gave his disciples the bread, he passed them the cup. This cup represents a new covenant, a new agreement between God and humanity through me. There would be forgiveness, remission of sins is is another way of saying forgiveness of sins. And so all of drink from it. Let's pray together again. Lord Jesus, to you and to you alone be glory and majesty, dominion and power. You are the one who was and is and is to come, and you are the definition. You are the manifestation of love. You are God's love to this broken world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Thank you for the sacrament that calls that to our remembrance, that challenges us, to confess our sins, to self-examination, to look at where we are not living out the gospel in our lives. Father, thank you for the opportunity you will give us uh, in the the moments and hours and days ahead to uh, confess those sins, to go back and to make those relationships right. Uh, Because we have been to your table, we have tasted of your goodness again. We have been reminded uh, of the grace in which we stand. So empower us, Lord Jesus, through this sacrament, to be a people of your love. We pray in your name. Amen.